Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard, and another day closer to college football, right? Had a good time out in the West. I'm back. Got back in time for the presser on Monday. I promise you guys I would. I hustled back. Thankfully, Mike Leach is a, uh, is a late riser. So I didn't miss it. Wanted to be there for you guys. I'm going to be there to ask some questions. Plus, I didn't want Mike Leach to think I'm a slacker, right? It's the last thing we want. Mike Leach think, you know, well, Steve took a vacation when he covered the ball game, Chased all over the Southwest and couldn't make it back in time for the presser. So, call it a, uh, a personal project of sorts, but uh, there was no way I wasn't getting back in time for the presser. Uh, some other Bulldog fans told me they had trouble getting back, too, not – those that drove, I had many friends that flew, so they had a lot of trouble getting back. So uh, go ahead and prepare. Two years from now, we're heading back out there to play Arizona State in Tempe. I'll be making that drive again. I got to go see Tombstone. 
So we'll do that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about MSU baseball, and we're also going to talk about LSU extensively on the show. Uh, you may have seen on social media this afternoon, I shared a personal video from Stevie Blaze, legendary guitarist and founder of the band Lillian Axe, who will be headlining Rock Vegas September the 30th. Uh, you need to go and get your tickets squared away. We have still over 100 tickets left to sell. So things are going okay, but uh, I, I don't I don't want to have to sit here at the end and kind of like beg people to buy tickets because this is not about just a show. This is about money for Mississippi State's NIL efforts. And I've had a lot of people that have said, hey, Steve, I'd love to support it, but I don't know the bands. Well, you know, I'm going to be blunt about that. It's not really about your entertainment value. If you come to this show, you're going to have a great time. Because you're going to hear some songs you know, and you're going to see some bands that are up and coming. But also, too, this is about Mississippi State. Every dime from ticket sales and official event merchandising sales go directly to the Bulldog Initiative, which in turn goes to your student-athletes. So if you haven't bought tickets, please buy tickets. Even if you can't come to the show, buy tickets. You can email them to me at srobertsonatjeanspage.com. I will make sure that a very deserving Mississippi State student gets those tickets, and we'll give those away the week of the show. I'm not going to do it now because we want everybody that possibly can buy tickets to buy tickets. But uh, it's all coming together. Went and got the banners yesterday, dropped off the one at Hobie's, got the big Welcome to Rock Vegas banner that we'll use. Uh, and then, of course, uh, going to pick up shirts tomorrow. VIP passes are in. Rock Vegas attendance bracelets are in. I mean, so we're just kind of waiting now for this thing to get here. And we're 16 days away. 16 days away from Rock Vegas. It's all coming together rather quickly. I'm not panicking in any, any stretch because I feel confident in all the work that I've done. But it's been a tremendous amount of work. A lot of people have assisted. And I can't begin to uh, offer my hearty thanks to each of them that have made this thing a reality. But again, we're trying to make this an annual event. So I need you guys to support this. I need you to buy tickets. I need you to come to the show uh, and, you know, come out there and just have a good time. It's not like I'm just begging you for a donation. We're going to give you a great rock show. You're going to help re-energize the rock scene here in the state of Mississippi. And uh, already kind of beginning to do some some work on next year's show. Already had contact with a couple major recording artists that are interested in playing the show, right? So in order for that to continue, you know, we've got to be able to demonstrate to people, hey, we put this great show together, people supported it, and so you, you are smart to do business with us as we raise money for the Bulldog Initiative because we're going to bring in people. We're going to get tickets sold. We're going to get people to come and support this event. So I need you to support the event. I do. I need you to do this. And so I'm asking you, with all the earnestness of, at my command, uh, to buy tickets and come to the show. And again, if you can't come to the show, buy tickets and send them to me, and I will make sure that somebody else comes in your stead. There may be a very deserving Mississippi State student that maybe can't afford to come, that would love to come to the show. And so you can be a part of that. So again, please buy tickets. You can find the links on my social media, or you can just Google Rock Vegas, uh, Lillian Axe, and you'll probably be directed to the link. If you need the link, it's on all my socials daily. But if for some reason you miss it, message me directly, and I will get that information to you. So Rock Vegas, September 30th, with Twist and Four-Way Stop. If you'd like to see Four-Way Stop, maybe perhaps that uh, maybe you didn't make it to Bulldog Bash last year. They opened Bulldog Bash for Hardy. If you're going to be traveling to see Mississippi State 
play LSU this weekend. Four-way stop is going to be down there Friday night, and I will be there as well. They're going to be at the Revelry, also called the Rev. Uh, they're playing late, and so if you're out, because we have, you know, you're going to be looking for a reason to sleep late on Saturday, right? So come to the show and see Four-Way Stop Friday. We'll have a good time. And then you can sleep late on Saturday, get up and enjoy some college football, and then go over to Tiger Stadium to watch Bulldogs whip LSU uh, there at 5 p.m. So this Friday night in Baton Rouge at the Revelry, Four-Way Stop, uh, playing as the headliner at the show down there. It'd be awfully awesome uh, for you guys to turn out and support those guys, and you'll get a chance to see them at Rock Vegas. Again, very happy to have those guys on the bill. Now, Twist was set to play at Hopi's the week before Rock Vegas. They were going to play the week of the Bowling Green game. That has now been rescheduled because we didn't want people to say, well, I'm going to wait and go to Rock Vegas and not see them the, day before, the week before. And so they've rescheduled that show. They'll be at Hobie's on Main at a different time. But all those bands will be fresh coming in. Many of you saw Twist uh, a couple weekends ago down at Two Brothers. Put on a good show. So we're going to have a good time together. Again, Rock Vegas, September 30th. Doors at 6, show at 7. we got some pretty cool things planned in addition to the show. So come out and support that event. Again, you're not just supporting me, but more importantly, you're supporting Mississippi State. A lot of time and effort has gone into this. We want to make sure this comes off as a resounding success. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I love them. I love them. I love them. They love me back. And the thing that I love about this relationship with Bulldog Burger Company is I know what I'm going to get. There's never any question about what I'm going to get. And it doesn't matter what I choose on the menu, whether it be the Sloppy Joe sliders or the Pimentology Ad Bacon or the BLT salad. I'm going to get a quality meal at a quality price. I'm going to get great service and a great atmosphere from a great company that understands what it takes to feed folks. Three great locations to serve you, University Drive and Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that. And get that chocolate shake to go. That's the thing about Bulldog Burger Company. It is an event, right? It's not just, hey, I've got to run in here and eat lunch. It's an enjoyable meal that you're not going to be in a hurry to just kind of you know, run through. You know, Sometimes when you're on the road, you just want to get something quick. When you go to Bulldog Burger Company, it is quite the event. And I encourage you to, to get the full course, right? The spring rolls, your entree, and then that chocolate shake to go. And maybe you want that chip with donuts uh, bread pudding. I'm a bread pudding connoisseur. I like theirs an awful lot. Be sure to go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's knock some baseball stuff out. The SEC releasing the conference portion of the schedule. That is out there now for everybody. Let's run through what Mississippi State has. I like our draw, to be quite honest with you. We opened the SEC slate the weekend of March 17th with Vanderbilt coming to town. I kind of like getting those guys early. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to be particularly strong this year. I didn't think they were great last year. You know, we beat them in, in the College World Series final two years ago. So this will be our first chance to, uh, to try those guys on for size again since then. And uh, I believe we're going to be a much better program. So I like getting them early before they've kind of figured some pitching things out. You know, we're kind of in that same situation, too. We've got to figure some things out, too. So I'd like to get this series at home. I expect State to win that series. 
The following weekend, we traveled to Auburn. And Auburn, listen, Butch Thompson's done a great job at Auburn. Not that anybody should be surprised. Butch done a great job out there and uh, has them in the postseason regularly. You know, been to Omaha twice now. I mean, so th- that's going to be a difficult stretch for us. I mean, we have had some success against Auburn the last several years. But anytime you got to go on the road in this league, it's a challenge. But I like that the fact that it's a winnable series on the road. And, again, I think Auburn is a team that uh, maybe doesn't recruit at the level that we do. But you cannot argue against the success that Butch Thompson has had in recent years. I wish the Auburn folks, and not just the tried-and-true baseball fans, I think Auburn fans as a whole and perhaps an administration, maybe commit themselves a little bit more to Auburn baseball. And maybe that's not in the best interest of Mississippi State, but it certainly is of Butch Thompson. All right, the following weekend, we will get uh, Texas A&M here. We had a rough weekend out at College Station. You know, put ourselves in a position to win some games down there and just couldn't close them out. It was miserable. And uh, gives Jim Sloshnagel a chance to come up here and, uh, and see how the big kids live here at Starkville. So that'll be a big series. And, again, I like getting that one at home. A&M returns a lot of pieces from last year's team. This is going to be a very solid Aggie baseball team. You know, we'll see what they have pitching-wise. I didn't think they were exceptional last year pitching-wise, but they were very competitive. They're always around the plate. It makes you put the ball in play. And A&M, really good defensively last year. So, again, they're going to bring some pieces back. Going to be a very competitive team. Alabama, we go to those guys. We have had a lot of success in Tuscaloosa, especially under Chris Simonis. Again, that's a very winnable road series for us, and that's the thing. You start looking at the schedule, and you realize a lot of the road series are winnable, and most of the toss-ups are at home. Most. Not all. Most. But the trip to Alabama has been very fruitful for State. The last time we were over there, we swept that series. Um, so, you know, that's the Kellum Clark thing, too, where the you know, third baseman runs into Kellum Clark and they give him a hometown call. All right, the next weekend is Super Bulldog weekend. And by the way, that Alabama series is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal. The next weekend, Super Bulldog weekend, will welcome Ole Miss, the defending NFL champions, to town. And that's a team that lost an awful lot from a year ago. And, and let's be honest, they were kind of built to win last year. They had a lot of guys, including Tim Elko, that came back. And then Dylan DeLucia kind of comes out of nowhere and ends up being absolute money for them down the stretch. I mean, do we need to, to hype up the series anymore? The last two NAFL champions getting together on our campus should be a series that we can win. I mean, of course, we're, we're just forecasting here based on returning rosters. But the reality of it is, Anytime we get together with the Rebs, it usually favors us. So we need to find a way to win that one, too, and kind of get a uh, – we won the series last year at their place. We've won most of them here as of late. All right, the following weekend we'll be on the road to Lexington, Kentucky, to see our friend Nick Mangion. We haven't been up there in a few years. I'm eager to get up there and see what they've done facility-wise, you know, since we have been up there. You know, they have done some – they've renovated some things and made things better with the player amenities, and so – uh, Nick is our buddy, and so we had a good series against those guys uh, two years ago. That's a winnable series again, too. Now, the next weekend could be one of the biggest weekends of April for Mississippi State. We travel to LSU. We expect LSU should be really good this year. Of course, we lose in the Paul Skeens sweepstakes to the Tigers, so now we got to deal with them. It's always difficult to go down to Alex Box. 
and win a series. We did two years ago. Should have swept. We didn't. We won the first two and then lost that Sunday game and uh, had a chance to really put those guys away, and we didn't. We ultimately lose the, the game three of the series. But, um, yeah, this is a huge rivalry. I think a lot of people sometimes, maybe newcomers to Mississippi State baseball, don't fully appreciate the history between State and LSU. Now, they've had our number most years. But there's probably not a team that more old-school Bulldog baseball fans want to beat more than LSU. So we have to go down there to Alex Box. And listen, they play a great brand of baseball. Anybody suggesting otherwise is just being disingenuous. All right, the Arkansas Razorbacks come to town. That's the uh, opening weekend of May, May 5th through the 7th. You know, last year we were very fortunate to win a game. And what a game it was. Jackson Fristo really comes in there and heaves for us late. We hit Luke Hancock with a big clutch hit late. So we salvaged a game up there, which kind of broke up that run of sweeps between us and them. And they have had the better of us the last couple of years, and so it'd be nice to get them down here. And listen, as long as Dave, Dave Van Horn is at Arkansas, they're going to be competitive. They just are. And probably a team, too, that underachieved a little bit last year, considering the pieces they had back. And, of course, they had Michael Turner. Uh, you know, they had, they had a lot of pieces back, and they went into the portal and had some success. And then they couldn't get to Omaha. And, uh, excuse me, they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't make it interesting shall we say. I guess they did get to Omaha. But you understand my point. It's like Arkansas is a team over the course of the last two years. You know, two years ago, they were considered the best team in the country. And then they get upset by NC State and Super Regional. And then last year, they kind of scrap it together and get there late. They just can't finish. Final regular fi- – excuse me, not, not final. Final road series of SEC play is at Tennessee. Now, here's the thing I'll share with you about Knoxville. You're not going to hit home runs out to left at night. So the timing of these games will be awfully important. But you, you're not going to hit home runs left. You can hit on the right, but at night, the air begins to, to chill a little bit, and uh, it's just difficult. The air's a little thicker out there and left coming off that mountain. So you're not going to hit home runs to left. And so that Friday game, of course, will be an evening game. We don't know what Saturday's game will look like. But uh, this will be a series, too. You remember last year how embarrassing that was? One of the lowest points of uh, my writing career was having to cover that series, especially the ball game. We give up all those runs. Absolutely atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. That, that's not Mississippi State baseball. It's not. And I'm, I don't say that to be critical of our staff or our team or anything like that. But uh, it was an abysmal performance. And the last time we went to Tennessee, we won the series and we should have swept. That's the series, if you recall, where uh, Peyton Plumley uh, tossed the ball in the dugout instead of going back to the catcher, and they award them two bases and um, not within the spirit of the rule. It was a bad call and ultimately cost us the ball game in the sweep. Went to Omaha anyway, but we've had some success at Tennessee. Now, it'll be a much different atmosphere than when we went over there three years ago. All right, South Carolina, that will close out the regular season. That is, again, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday event. Uh, the Gamecocks coming in here, just not exactly sure. Not exactly sure what South Carolina is going to have this year. Are those guys going to make a coaching change? We had that same discussion last year. And then South Carolina put some things together. And so they're going to be an average team within the SEC. So you start running this thing down here and you say, okay, well, this is who all we're playing. Well, you know, you look at it, we don't get Missouri, which is maybe a good thing considering their success against us the last couple of years. We don't get Georgia. We don't get Florida. 
Um, so, you know, you, you, you run your way through this, and I think we feel good about, you know, our draw. And, again, I'm glad to get Vanderbilt early. And you look at our teams from the east, you know, it's Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. You know, there's no way you're going to avoid everybody, right? And not to mention, we are Mississippi State. There are going to be a lot of people that open up a schedule today and think, oh, man, we got Mississippi State again. Yes, you do. We are not the little sisters of the poor. We are Mississippi State. We are a perennial powerhouse in college baseball. And so it's important for us to go out there and restore the glory behind Mississippi State baseball. Last year was an anomaly. Listen, I am a huge Chris Lamonis fan. I love our staff. I love everything about uh, Mississippi State baseball. And I just believe last year was just one of those things where everything went wrong for us. Despite everybody's best efforts, I don't think anybody was asleep at the wheel. I don't think anybody was not giving their best effort. Yeah, I think we may have had some players maybe a little bit too worried about the draft at times. You stack that on top of some injuries. And, and listen, there's a part of me, too, that I look back. You know, it's like we, we win an AFL championship together, and then we bring some guys back. You know, it's like, hey, well, let's just, let's just keep it together. You know, and we didn't really add an awful lot outside of R.J. Yeager. And I think we all realized it later in the year that maybe not adding a pitcher or two out of the portal was a mistake. And even if we'd had people healthy, it likely would have been a mistake. You don't, you understand what I'm saying? It's like we, we need to always be adding to the top of our roster. And so I think sometimes you get caught up and you think, we'll be okay, we'll be okay. And the gift of hindsight is always easy. It's always easy to look back in hindsight and say, well, yeah, we should have done that. But the reality of it is, is we expected to be a potential Omaha team last year, and we finished last in the West. It was embarrassing to all of us. And I can promise you in my conversations with Chris Lamonis, nobody wears that more than he does. He doesn't look at it and say, well, you know, we won an NFL championship year before. It's okay. No, no, no. That's just not how Lamonis is built. Just not. Chris has never got it. feels like, okay, well, now we can kind of coast. Chris is an ultimate competitor ultimate competitor on a recruiting trail, ultimate competitor as a coach. And I read these comments sometimes. People are like, oh, he's sitting on his bucket. What do you want him to do? Pace a dugout and throw chairs like Bobby Knight? I mean, come on. I can tell you my interactions with Chris are more extensive than your interactions with Chris. And I can assure you there is nobody more determined to make sure this is a big year for Mississippi State baseball and Chris Lamonis. Absolutely nobody. Zero. No matter how much we all care, I mean, it's not just his passion, it's his livelihood too. It's how he feeds his family. But more importantly than that, beyond the paycheck is the pride issue. Even when I went and interviewed him about the portal, you know, about the the portal class, your buddies here and everything else, every time he would mention last year, I could just see him wince. I could just feel it in his body language. You know, the fact that that's on on his record especially the year after we won an AFL championship, is, is not something that sits well with Chris Lamonis. You can rest assured in that. Chris has never just sit back thinking, well, you know, what could they expect? We won an AFL championship the year before. I, I can assure you those words have never left the lips of Chris Lamonis. And, they, and what did the staff do? They go out there and really work the portal hard and go get some great players for you. And so – We'll have uh, well, full coverage of the scrimmages this weekend. You can find that over jeanspage.com. They had a scrimmage earlier uh, for dugout club, dugout club members. And so the rest of them will be attending and uh, providing full coverage. So be sure and check that out over at jeanspage.com. We'll have the non-conference schedule be released soon, too. Looking forward to that, too. Let's go ahead and jump into uh, to LSU. 
Having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, right? We've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? There been times in the past I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee. It's been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. And then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet, interview, and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. Let's do it. Let's take a history lesson first, okay? Mississippi State began playing LSU way back in 1896. Were you aware of that? We lost. We lost 52 to nothing. In 1896. That's one of the largest margins of victory in a series. The next year, we lose 6 nothing. We get our, oh, excuse me, 1902, we lose 6 nothing. 1903, we get our first win in the series. And then we began to play more regularly. And LSU won, uh, I guess, the first um, five of eight. And then State went on a nice little run here. We won the next three, and we had a tie. But some weird stuff began to happen. You know, we played them in Jackson from 1926 to 1930, every game. Five straight games we played in Jackson. And then after that, the Tigers did not set foot on Mississippi soil to play the Bulldogs until 1958. From 1931 to 1957, we played LSU either in Baton Rouge or in Monroe, Louisiana. In 32 and 33, we played over Monroe. But from 34 to 57, we played every single game annually in Baton Rouge. Now, I don't know who was responsible for that. I don't understand what type of financial agreement we had in place. That just seems less than ideal for Mississippi State. Why would we agree to go play every year in Baton Rouge? Makes no sense. None whatsoever. And and I don't know, maybe it had something to do with the fact that, uh, you know, maybe we couldn't accommodate crowds or whatever. I I don't know. But I can't believe that we would agree to play for better than two decades down in Baton Rouge. It just boggles the mind. Maybe one day we'll dig into that and we'll find out kind of what the thought process was. And uh, if there's still anybody alive that can tell us anything, and perhaps there's a written record somewhere of, of kind of how this all happened. But, you know, how did the SEC office let this happen? I'm just curious. I did something like this would happen. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Ole Miss and Alabama didn't play each other, and then we had to go to Baton Rouge every year. It makes no sense. 
And as you can imagine, OSU won most of those games. Now, towards the end of the 50s, we began to have some success against them. 52 we win, 53 we win, 54 we win, we lose in 55, we win in 56, win in 57. So we had some good success down there, and then all of a sudden, LSU turns it around. We go back and play them in Jackson in 1958. They win 7-6, and then they win the next four. And then in 63, we beat them again in 7-6 uh, in Jackson. And then all of a sudden, we resumed this crazy nonsense about going back to Baton Rouge. It's like, okay, we finally were able to get a game here regularly, and then from 1964 to 1970, every year we go back to Baton Rouge, and guess what? We lost them all. In 72, excuse me, 71, we get them in Jackson, we lose, we go back to Baton Rouge, back-to-back years. We get them in Jackson in 74, and we beat them. Then we, go, then we begin to alternate, Baton Rouge-Jackson, Baton Rouge-Jackson, Baton Rouge-Jackson. And then in 1980, John Bond hits the scene. John wins four in a row. And then even after John's left, we win the, the next one. So from 80 to 85, excuse me, 80 to 84, we win five straight years. And in 80, John Bond absolutely destroyed LSU 55-31. You can find that game on YouTube if you'd like to take a trip down memory lane. The series then turned in 85. LSU wins the next five, which brings us up to 1990. And we're almost now at the precipice of the Jackie Sherrill era. What's interesting, too, we go back to kind of I skipped ahead there. In 82, Mississippi State hosts the game in Starkville for the first time in forever and a day. Uh, the, the, pre, the last meeting before that was in 1923. But in 82, we get them up here for the first ever uh, game with lights at Mississippi State. We win the game. Dana Moore, game-winning field goal, upsets uh, top-10-ranked LSU, 27-24. In a game that really stayed out, played LSU most of the game. And State wins, of course, you know, makes a little run there. But, uh, again, so we get into 90. State wins in, uh, in 90. And that's big. That was big for us. 34-22 in Jackson. That's the last time we played the Tigers in Jackson. 1991, we went again. And then in 92, some of you may remember this. 92, we go down to Baton Rouge. They beat us 24-3. We lose in 93-18-16. 94, they get us. And then, of course, this is a run, too, that LSU puts together here of seven straight. State wins again in 99. That's the Rod Gibson game. When I say Rod Gibson, you know exactly what I meant. State was undefeated. Jerry Donardo was on the ropes. Rondell Mealy was the great back at LSU, and LSU just couldn't get out of their own way that year. State, the year of the comeback, finds a way to win it. 17-16, I submit to you, Rod Gibson got in on third down and fourth down. We win the game. And what's interesting, too, and there's so many LSU people. So I was living in Baton Rouge at the time. So the local cable access channel had, like, their own video of the games. And you could watch that on Sunday night. They would condense the game down to an hour, and you could watch it. They had the back angle of the end zone that clearly shows that Rod Gibson got in before his knee touched down. Now, of course, that video has been lost to the sands of time, and it doesn't matter the arguments that people make. You know, the scoreboard says 17-16. Kind of like us losing to Memphis last year, except Rod Gibson actually got in. So it's important to understand that. There was visual video evidence from a Baton Rouge TV station 
that clearly showed Rod Gibson got in. But, of course, that is lost to the sands of time. Well, we needed to enjoy that one because we didn't win again until Dak Prescott got here. So from 2000 to 2013, LSU dominated the series, and most of these games were not competitive. In 2000, of course, which I believe is the last time we were favored to win at LSU, we lose 45-38. The week before that game, DeCenzo Miller was rumored to have had appendicitis. It was all the talk in the papers. He may not play. He goes down there and runs all over LSU. We had a big lead there, and then Josh Reed, future Bolitnikoff Award winner, absolutely wore us out. That game was over. LSU fans had left. They come back to win. We had to, matter of fact, we had to score to force overtime, and they beat us 45-38. That's the game, too, where LeBranton Tofield fumbled at the one-yard line. We always talk about that one. It's an egregious call. That began this incredible streak of LSU basically dominating. Just to kind of run it down for you, in 01, we get beat 42-0, then 31-13, then 41-6, and 51-0. And that was a Sylvester Croom game that Nick Saban actually took a knee before the half. In 05, we lose 37-7, then 48-17, then 45-0. In 08, it's a little more competitive, 34-24. And then 2009, a game we should have won, 30-26. That's the game when Chad Jones had that incredible punt return. We didn't make a tackle. But late in the ball game, we have a chance. We run the, jet, the jump pass. It didn't work out. And Tyson Lee had a chance to pitch there at the end. The guy had to make a decision, made the wrong decision. We ultimately lose the game. It's in Dan Mullen's first year. LSU was very highly regarded that year. Marcus Green, our tight end, had a big ball game. Should have won the game. Was really that, you know, you, you look at that year. We, you know, we went to what, five and seven that year. Should have beat Houston, should have beat LSU. 2010, we lose again, 29-7, then 19-6, then 37-17, and then 2013, that, that was just an absolutely abysmal game when Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry just absolutely destroyed our secondary. We lose 59-26. And then finally, Dak Prescott gets our first win since 1991 in Baton Rouge, a 34-29 game where the final score is not truly indicative of how well Mississippi State played. Made some mistakes late in that ball game. I remember Archie Manise snapping the ball over Dak Prescott's head, allowed them to kind of climb back in the game after the game was pretty much decided. The next thing you know, we had to bat a pass down on the final play of the game to get out of there with a win. And then LSU wins the next two, 21-19, 23-20. In 2017, Nick Fitzgerald absolutely dominates LSU, 37-7. The biggest margin of victory in the series for Mississippi State. LSU wins the next two, 19-3 and 18. And that's a ball game, too, that uh, we had our chances. Absolutely had our chances. And that's when people began to really get concerned about the Joe Moorhead offense. Our defense played lights out. Defense against Joe Burrow played absolutely lights out. Gave us a chance to win the game. We ended up giving up a string of field goals. Could not score. 2019, Burrow and those guys come back and get the revenge, even though that uh, Joe Burrow had a more embarrassing moment, kind of bare-cheeked moment at Davis Way. They beat us 36-13. The next year, we go to, to Tiger Stadium, first game of the Mike Leach era, and K.J. Costello sets the SEC single-game passing record. People forget we turned the ball over, what, three, four times in that game? We went 44-34. If we play clean that game, it's probably a 40-point win. It's ridiculous. And then last year, LSU wins 28-25. I still contend that the score of that game makes it look a little more competitive than it was. Uh, 
We scored a couple touchdowns late, and we had some opportunities early. We squandered some some important drives. Will Rogers had one interception that was uh, – I'm sure he'd like to have that one back. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the play that stands out, of course, is the punt. State's got all the momentum. We score. We need to get the ball back. And Rodney Gross gets the leaping call. And I believe the last play he ever played, maroon and white, gives them a first down. They go right down and score. I mean, it's going to be a much different ball game. And that's the thing. Like, a lot of LSU people tend to forget about that. They tend to forget how that play, the game really turned on that. And to be fair, I mean, the Bulldogs, it was a 7-3 ball game at the break. LSU up 7-3. And again, State squandered some first-half opportunities. They come right down the field and score, and uh, Johnson connects with Keishon Booty for that 64-yard touchdown. It's 14-3, and I think we're thinking, all right, we're, we're going to have a tough time here. We have a really tough time here. Then we miss a field goal. We drive down the field. Should have scored. And, and I, I go back to you. Know, we were driving down the field in Malik Heath, fighting for a first down. The ball gets gets stripped out. You know, it's, and then, again, the other driving plus territory where Will throws the pick. I mean, it's two turnovers right there that really squandered some opportunities for us in the first half. And then we come up here, our first drive of the second half, we drive all the way down the field and miss a field goal. Absolutely miss a field goal. So it's still a 14-3 game, and then LSU scores to make it 21-3. A big play there to give them the 21-3 lead. And, again, this is where I look at it. I'm thinking, you know what? This thing is over. Will Rogers comes back, hits McCaw Polk for a 29-yard touchdown pass, makes it 21-10 as we go into the fourth quarter. We're down 11. We're down 11 with some heat, though. Just need to get a stop and get back in it. LSU puts together a great drive, makes it 28-10. The game at this point was over, or so it seemed, because on fourth and eight from the LSU 37, Gross gets called for the personal foul. You know, what happens there if we just take the punt? It's a 21-10 ball game. We get the ball, right? But instead, the very next play, or maybe it's two plays after that, Three plays after that. The 41-yard touchdown pass where Forbes runs into another, I think, Fred Peters, and they score. Makes it 28-10, and then State adds a, a late touchdown to make it 28-17. We get a stop with uh, right at six minutes to go and go down and score again. And so it's a 28-25 game with just about two minutes to go. We do the onside kick. It didn't work out. And then they just they run out the clock. And so... Again, even though the score is somewhat indicative of a close ball game, LSU was really in control of this game. And despite our best efforts to climb back in it, you know, we have this egregious penalty. And it, it, was, absolutely, it was absolutely the right call. There was no question about it. It's a lack of discipline by a player that's no longer here. Just when State really had some juice, and all of a sudden you're going to make this a competitive ball game and maybe have a chance to make it a one-score game with a lot of game left. The next thing you know, we just dug ourselves in too big of a hole. And, again, you look back in hindsight and say, well, we lost 28-25, missed a field goal. I don't know over the context, the full context of the game, how much that would have mattered. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, LSU's play calling would have been different. They, they would have gone maybe into less ball control mode and still try to hit some big plays. And our safety play in that game was absolutely atrocious. So how much have we grown since last year? A lot of things have changed in Baton Rouge since then. Of course, that Orgeron is gone. Um Brennan is gone. A lot of those players from last year are gone. Butte, of course, is back. They've lost a lot on defense. 
they've struggled a little bit too. But uh, I wanted to kind of go over the the series a little bit, and then a couple segments later, we're going to get into what LSU looks like this year, and uh, give a bit of a scouting report on those guys. I have walked watched um, the LSU Florida State game live, and I've gone back and watched some other things um, from the Southern game. And not that you can tell a lot from that. It's because of the fact that, um, yeah, there's just so much that goes on with all that when you play an FCS team. I mean, it's just not a good barometer uh, for the quality of your program. You, you just can't really tell because there's such a you know, talent differential between, you know, an upper echelon team like LSU and a team like Southern. And I'm glad they play that game. But I think the reality of it is is that it's basically a glorified practice for LSU and it's a fundraiser for Southern. But, again, if you're going to write that check to go play a non-conference team, why not invest in your own state? And so I'm glad to see LSU do that, even though we didn't learn much from it. Um, so we'll get to that after our top ten list. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Blair Chandler is a friend of mine, a friend of yours, a friend of Mississippi State, a friend of those in need. Blair is a guy, too, that can help you. A lot of people, like, you want to have friends that know how to get things done that maybe you don't. Blair is a mortgage professional. 21 years in the industry. You know, and maybe now is the time for you. It's like, well, Steve, you know, I'd like to wait till interest rates are here, interest rates are there. Maybe you don't have that luxury. Maybe you're facing foreclosure. Maybe you've got revolving debt just absolutely eating away at you. Maybe every week is a grind because you're a paycheck-to-paycheck employee. Maybe... Maybe you're having to bring leftovers for lunch every day. Maybe it's a ramen noodles delicacy on Friday. Maybe you just need to lower your debt-to-income ratio. Maybe you need to consolidate some debt. Blair is the guy that can help you with that. Give him a call today at 601-500-2344. Again, at 601-500-2344. Call or text. That's his personal cell number. If you mention to him you heard about him on our show, say, hey, Blair heard about you on the barnyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Visit him to find out more about his services at CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. I'm a firm believer in keeping business within the Bulldog family. I like to do business with Bulldogs. If I, if I have to go spend the money, I'd rather it be with you. It goes back like to Rock Vegas. Everybody I spent money with, with the exception of bands, have been Mississippi State people. Want to keep the money within the family. Nothing against anybody else, but I want to support the people that support the things that I love and care about. Blair's one of those folks. Season ticket holder in multiple sports is a place in Starkville. You can rest assured Blair Chandler will treat you right. Again, that's closedwithblair.com. All right, so dog smack. Steve Keen had asked a while back if we'd done Steve Ray Vaughn. I was certain we had. I couldn't find the list, nor could Roy. And when you're talking about a legend like SRV and the great band Double Trouble, Maybe it's worth a second swing, even if we have. I can't imagine that we lost it because Roy is so meticulous in the things that he does. So maybe it's just been an oversight. So we're going to correct that today. Stevie Ray Vaughan, top 10 list. Now, your top 10 list may be different from mine, and that's okay. You have the right to be wrong in America. Many people exercise that regularly. If you don't believe me, just go look at Twitter. But... uh, all along the Watchtower and Little Wing are not here because they're obvious covers. There are a couple other ones in here that um, maybe 
would be considered covers, but the, re- the arrangement and rendition are much different. And so I, I don't want to get into a big back and forth about, about that. I just want to celebrate the late, great Stevie Ray Vaughan today. And so number 10 on our list is actually not a Double Trouble song. It's the album that Stevie Ray and Jimmy Vaughn of the fabulous T-Birds did together, an album called um, The Vaughn Brothers. Very creative title, right? The Vaughn Brothers, the great song, telephone song. So you've got dual leads, dual blues lead guitars here, and, and Stevie a little more bluesy than Jimmy. Jimmy has some blue in, blues influence, but uh, he's a little more maybe rock radio friendly. And I love the T-Birds, man. I don't know if we can put a top ten list together, those guys, but I love the Fabulous Thunderbirds. I love the Thunderbirds. And I think Jimmy Vaughn is an underappreciated guitar player, but uh, nice to see those guys work together on an album. Number nine, the great song Change It. If you're unfamiliar with that one, you should get to know it. Uh, number eight, uh, Couldn't Stand the Weather. That is a great one, too. And I like the vocal on it a lot, too. And that's the thing about Stevie Ray Vaughan. I wouldn't say he's a tremendous singer. He's a very good singer, though. Right? He doesn't have a lot of range, but for what he wants to play, he's got this soulful voice. You know, probably somewhat limited when it comes to octaves. But I think Couldn't Stand the Weather is a really good representation of the kind of vocalist Steve Ray Vaughan was. Number seven, one, it's a little up-tempo. Kind of has a little bit of Elvis Presley, maybe the 50s, early 60s Elvis Presley flair to it. It's Look at Little Sister. Like that one an awful lot. Hey, Mama, look at Little Sister. Number six, I think this is when we really started getting into legendary stuff. Number six for me is Cold Shot. There's just something about that song, from really from start to finish, that is it's kind of unique. You know, every song is a little bit different, but I don't know that there's a lot of songs that really sound a lot like Cold Shot, even in the blues genre. It's got kind of got that little half-step hook in it. I dig it a lot. Number five, an absolute gem of a song is The Sky Is Crying. We've all been there. We've all been there, been down in the, uh, the, the pits of despair. That's what that song's about. Number four... Now, this is one here that I don't know that gets enough due. This is one of these slow, melodic blues songs that has an absolutely incredible intro to it. It's the classic Tin Pan Alley. Number four on my list, very slow, melodic. You can, I mean, it's like, you always talk about, man, that guy's got the blues. If there was ever a greater indicator that Stevie Ray Vaughan was a true blues man, this is that song. This is one of those songs that I don't know that a lot of people could perform and have the same level of authenticity. It's an absolutely amazing song. Number three, now I think we would probably all agree that on the top three. I think we probably, we may disagree on the order. I think we'd all agree on the songs themselves. But number three for me is Crossfire. And again, I like, I like the sharp vocal on this. Like there's not all these melodic and harmonic runs. It's just a great blues song. It's an up-tempo blues song. Got some organ in the background. I love it. Number two, it's Tightrope. You knew that one was coming at some point, right? Great lyrics. Really kind of true to the old school of blues, even though it's a little more up-tempo. But number one for me, and maybe for you, it's Pride and Joy. Perhaps the most recognizable Stevie Ray Vaughan song. And at some point, we've all been there, too. We've always had that, everybody's had that one girl that you fell in love with and she loved you back. 
And maybe she didn't always love you back. Maybe you didn't always love her back. But for a, for a, for a period there, she was your pride and joy. So that's our Stevie Ray Vaughan top 10 list. I hope you enjoyed that. And again, I apologize for not getting this done sooner. There's a part of me I still think we did. But uh, when I was putting this list together today, I said, you know, a lot of this doesn't really feel quite familiar. So thanks for the suggestion, Steve Keen. I appreciate you, you listening to the show, and I appreciate you reaching out on social media. If you're like Steve and you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. Better yet, hit Roy up at Dogmatic67 on Twitter. And uh, he'll keep the list. He'll put you on the list. And this is one, you know, I, I was going to do it last week. We ended up putting it off. But uh, we have a pretty good list. But sometimes you guys have ideas that are better than what we're considering. And so we may bump you up here. And this is one we just kind of need to right or wrong here uh, with SRV. So we've done that today. I appreciate your support of the top ten list. There's so many people that have reached out. And so they've, they've learned new things. And even some of you young bucks have said, you know what? I've impressed my dad, or I've impressed my mom. They get in, and I'm listening to this. And it's a song, really, from maybe their high school or college years. And so I think it's cool to uh, to share the gift of music with each other. And uh, that's what we're going to do at Rock Vegas, too. We're going to celebrate life with music together. And it doesn't matter to me what your political affiliations are, what your religious beliefs are, who you voted for, if you pay your taxes or not, that's all your business. I don't care who you're sleeping with. That's all your business. But for that night, we're going to be one family united in rock. And we're going to have a great time. So please come out and support the show. That's Rock Vegas, September 30th, down at Hobie's on Main. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. My friends at Campus Bookmart will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. Go by and see their smiling faces and the great selection of Mississippi State merchandise, the best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the known universe. A lot of people make that claim. They back it up. You can see it for yourself. Going to have a handful of home games coming up here in the next few weeks. Go by and check them out. Support a Starkville business. If you can't make it to town and you'd like to support them as well you should, visit them on the World Wide Web, campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, which is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Mom, Dad, it's starting to get a little chilly. Buy yourselves something. Take care of those kids. They're growing like weeds. They can't wear their Mississippi State merch from last year. Let's get everybody outfitted in some brand new maroon and white. It's going to be Christmas time before you know it. It's just over three months away. You probably don't want to hear that, but it's true. It's time to start planning. Campus Bookmart has you covered. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. Get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks, and chances are you're going to need to use that because you're not going to be able to stop at 50 bucks. All right, let's take a closer look at OSU. You know, I transcribed the uh, Brian Kelly press conference yesterday. I was impressed with his delivery. Thought he was uh, maybe less coach speak than most. I think that's an important thing to consider. I think he gives Mississippi State a lot of respect, and as well they should. And one of the things I think is important to understand, too, like if we lose this game, it's not going to wreck our season. I think many of us, when the schedule first came out, we penciled this in as a loss because we have taken some really good teams to LSU over the years and come home with losses. 
because we're not going to wreck our season, but it could be the difference between a good season and a great season. We want to start, hey, can we make the move above eight and four? You got to win games like this. Now, if you're LSU and you're Brian Kelly and you're thinking, hey, we're facing the prospect of opening the slate one and two, and we still have Alabama to go, and a lot of those games left on the schedule are toss-ups, you start thinking, hey, wait a minute, we're losing opportunities to get to a 10-win season, which is kind of like what you expect at LSU. It's been a difficult stretch for those guys since winning an Apple championship. A very difficult stretch, which is why they made a coaching change. I think it's important to kind of understand. I think a lot of people kind of forget what's happened at LSU over the course of the last two years, and that's important to kind of take into account too because this is not maybe, you know, the – the LSU that we have grown accustomed to seeing, you know, with, with Coach Orgeron up there, wasn't always the easiest either. Then they had one of the greatest seasons in the history of, of college football. Give a lot of credit to to, uh, to Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. But Orgeron's first full season in 17, and that's a year that State beats them 37-7. to They finished 9-4 and that year and ranked 18th in the country. 2018, 10-3, they finished 6th in the country and then to win the NFL championship in 19. So you saw a nice progression there. In 2020, State goes down there and absolutely destroys those guys. Final score, 44-34, truly not indicative of how well Mississippi State played. Tigers go 5-5 five and five and then take a bowl ban that year when basically all Power 5 team for pretty much guaranteed a bowl. They elect to take the bowl ban. 2021, they go 6-6. Six and six. They beat Texas A&M final game of the year to earn bowl eligibility and then lose in the Texas Bowl. So since winning the NFL championship, you begin to look at these Tigers, they're 12 and 13. 12 and 13 counting this year. And so I think Brian Kelly will be successful at LSU. Will he achieve that same level of success? I mean, LSU has had three consecutive coaches, won an AFL championship. Is Brian Kelly that caliber of coach? I think maybe he would have been at Notre Dame. I don't know that he will be at LSU, but I can't fault the guy for taking that big payoff. But this is year one. Will those fans down there be patient to answer that question? No. They're tired of losing. They're ready to be LSU again. And, you know, that's the thing people forget. You know, from 14 to 17 – it was an 8-9 win type year, every year. Even though they were well-respected, they dropped a handful of games every single year. They're, they have not the same program they once were. Really, the exception in the last decade, really, has been them winning double-digit games. Now, they expect to this year, fair or unfair, that's the expectation. But I think if you're Brian Kelly, the pressure, there is more pressure on LSU than there is Mississippi State in this game. I think we can afford to go down there and play a little bit loose because they're kind of facing the prospect of, hey, if we lose to Mississippi State, we still have Alabama, we still have A&M, we still have uh, Ole Miss, Arkansas. And Arkansas's had some success against LSU as of late. All of a sudden you start thinking, yeah, this could be an eight and four year for us. This could be a 7-5 and five type year for us. So the pressure is on those guys. Now, the intangibles, of course, playing at home in front of one of the greatest fan bases in all college football, that's a huge advantage. 
You remember Dak Prescott, the most iconic player in our school's history, went down there and absolutely had those guys on the ropes. We elect Mike to kick a field goal late. We think the game is over, and then um, we allowed him to kind of creep back in. And so, as I've said on some radio shows, I think the difference in this ballgame is going to boil down to what happens in that fourth quarter when that LSU crowd decides, hey, it's time to get on our feet. They begin to will that team to victory. How are we going to respond? How do we silence the crowd? How do we take them out of it? Well, I think the, you know, the biggest answer to that is to have a two-digit, you know, double-digit scoring lead in the fourth quarter. Still a lot of football left to play, but it's difficult to win down there. I mean, you saw it. You've all seen it yourselves. I have been on field level down there, and at times when that place gets rocking, it feels like the ground is going to open up and swallow you whole. When Dak fumbled that ball in 14 and they scooped it up and ran in for a touchdown, I felt like the building was going to fall down around me. So how do we handle that? And you can say, well, you know, Steve, we played in front of 88,000 at A&M. And that's true. But the ferocity at Tiger Stadium dwarfs what it is at College Station. And I know a lot of people say, well, College Station is great. And it is. I love going down there to play, partly because we have some success. I don't know if there is a more intimidating home field environment than Tiger Stadium. And maybe some of that is just because of our experiences down there. You know, and uh, back in 2002, a buddy of mine went to every LSU home game. And I'll just tell you, when they get to rocking, man, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to hear. It's difficult to relax. It's difficult to stay within yourself. It helps that we have a veteran team. But that is something that we're going to have to – how do we handle the moment? Because if we go out there and we have that third quarter malaise that we had against Memphis and against Arizona, I think we're going to find ourselves in some real trouble. We've got to consistently go out there and make plays. This is where guys like Austin Williams, this is where guys like LaQuinson Sharp have to really be vocal in that huddle. you got to keep us focused. We can't allow the emotion of the game to dictate our play. And, again, the pressure is on LSU here. Because we go, we go through this thing, we go two and one, be like, okay, we're still on schedule to get eight. You win this one, all of a sudden you start thinking, you know what, we got a good chance to get nine. But if you're LSU, it's like, looks like it's going to be a disappointing year. And you know, Brian Kelly's a great coach. They're going to have a great game plan. They're going to come out and do their best to try to, to try to slow it, run us down. So let's look and see how LSU kind of got to this point. You guys all watched that Sunday night game with LSU and Florida State. It was not a good game until the very end. It was a very boring game, by and large, until that fourth quarter. A lot of memes out there about Brian Kelly kind of regretting his decision. You know, LSU had a first quarter lead, 3-0, but it just felt like felt like LSU missed some opportunities in that first quarter. They were moving the ball with some success, and then shortly after that, the Florida State defense stepped up and got some stops. Florida State scores to go up 7-3 at the break, the third quarter is a little bit exciting, but part of that is because of the fact that Florida State pieced together a couple scoring drives and takes a, uh, excuse me, a 17-3 lead in this game. It really felt like that uh, Florida State was about to put it away. Give LSU some credit. They come back and score late in the third quarter to make it a 17-10 game. So you're thinking, okay, we've got a game again. And then Florida State responds, puts together a really nice scoring drive to make it a 24-10 game to play with 9.04 to go. And at this point, we're all thinking LSU is dead. 
LSU is never dead in any sport, especially football and baseball. So LSU, Jaden Daniels goes down and hits Jeray Jenkins for a touchdown. Now it's a 24-17 game. And you recall Florida State gives themselves a chance to answer. They drive down in the red zone, decide to get cute, throw a pitch. The ball is fumbled. I mean, if you just run ball control there and kick a field goal, this game is over. It's a two-possession game with under two minutes to play. But instead, LSU marches the length of the field. They get a little bit of help. Kind of a controversial call, I guess you could say, about the tight end getting out of bounds. They scored the touchdown, and I think we all knew then when Jeray Jenkins scored, we're thinking, you know what, LSU's going to win this thing in overtime because Florida State is just not very good. I mean, Florida State has been the definition of mediocrity the last four or five years. And they blocked the extra point. And Florida State wins. And as painful as that loss was, it's not a season ender. Now, the Tigers bounced back last week, as you expect, you know, against an FCS team. And I guess all due respect to Southern, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Pete Richardson when he was there. He was very involved in the local community. Coach Richardson, great ambassador for Jaguar football. But that ball game last week, and of course, Coach Richardson is retired, no longer there. But um, that game was over pretty much as it began. Daniels runs for a touchdown to get the extra point. They get the ball right back. Josh Williams runs for a touchdown. Extra point's good. Then Daniels, touchdown pass, Jack Bash. Extra point's good. Halfway through the first quarter, it's 21-0. Before the fourth quarter, first quarter is over, it's 37 to nothing. And that includes a couple of defensive scores here. You had a pick six. Then you had a, a, a safety, a block punt. Recovered in the end zone for a safety. That's what made it 37. And at this point, the game was over. It was just a matter of what the final score was going to be. LSU puts together 24 more points there in the second quarter. It's 51-0 at the break. And then from there, they coasted to a 65-17 win. And, of course, uh, Southern scores a couple touchdowns, you know, late. Or, I guess, 10 points late against the uh, the bandit defense. But um, – we're not going to see those guys. Just not. And so let's look inside some numbers here. And, uh, again, there were 102,000 people at that ballgame. Now, granted, it's a historic game, but we can expect a similar crowd. It will be absolute pandemonium in Tiger Stadium when the Bulldogs arrive. It's going to be nuts. I mean, just get, get ready for that. Okay, as a team here, LSU offensively averaging 449 yards per game, allowing 327. And, of course, that's, some of that is, you know, Southern. You know, Southern, an FCS team. So the numbers are a little bit skewed there. LSU scored 12 touchdowns, allowed just five. As a passing offense, LSU is 48 of 69. Nice. Five touchdowns, two picks. Average attempt, 7.67 yards. So a little more ball control, I guess, maybe than what they've had in the past because, you know, they used to air it out. They used to have that vertical passing game. That's what they won them a national championship. They have allowed just 29 of 50. Think about that for a second. They have Their secondary has only seen 50 passes in through two games. They're going to probably see that amount in one game with us. Now, some of that, I think, is going to depend on how LSU plays offense. 
I do expect them to try to run the football, and that is going to prove to be a very dicey proposition. Very inexperienced offensive line that LSU. They have one senior. That's Cameron Wire, and he, he has never been a great player, but he's been good. But outside of that, a lot of young guys. Got a couple transfers. Remember Trevon Short? State was in the mix there. Trevon Short's not even starting at LSU. But it's a new group. It's kind of beginning to learn some cohesion. But they're gonna, I, I expect them to try to establish the run with John Emery back. They'll try to establish the run to shorten the game and limit our possessions. So maybe we don't get to 50 attempts. Maybe. Maybe we don't have that many possessions. But the reality of it is, is that we're going to test that secondary like unlike anybody else has this year. As a rushing offense, they ran for 369 yards. I looked up the numbers today. That's about, I think it's 85. It's not a lot for a team that kind of predicates itself on being the more physical team. They've allowed 333 yards rushing. So despite the fact that they absolutely destroyed Southern last week, they've only outrushed their opponents by 36 yards. That's interesting to me for a team, again, that kind of prides itself on the physicality of the offensive end. Average yards, 5.6. They're allowing 4.2. If we can average four yards a carry against them, I think it's going to be a pretty good night. They're averaging 184 yards a game rushing. State is 30th in the country in rush defense. We allowed 40 last week. They've ran for six touchdowns allowed. It's just two rushing touchdowns. Ironically, LSU losing time of possession. Mississippi State's a team that always does well in time of possession because even though we don't run the football a lot, we keep the clock moving. Through two games, LSU has possessed the football just over 57 minutes and been on defense just over an hour. So it's about a three-minute differential there in the game, which is about what it is between us and them. I think we're 42 in time of possession. They're 38 or thereabouts. They are 12 of 23 on third-down conversions. So right at 50%. That's not a great conversion. We were just 5 of 12 last week ourselves. Their opponents also right at 50%. Fourth-down conversions, they're 2 for 3, and then their opponents are 0 for 1. They have fumbled twice, lost them both. They have forced five fumbles and recovered all five of those fumbles. LSU sacks, three sacks as a team. Now, Ojolari is back this week after missing uh, most of the Florida State game and all the Southern game, but they just had three sacks. They've allowed six, most of those against Florida State. They've also scored 12 touchdowns, allowed five converted on two field goal attempts, allowed five field goals. Uh, They've had 12 red zone trips, scored in nine of the 12 touchdowns, nine of the 12. But defensively, we've been pretty good. Seven red zone attempts from their opponents, just two touchdowns. First downs, 48 as a team, allowed 37. 18 of those on the ground, 27 passing. Now, I'll tell you this, too, this Jaden Daniels kid, A lot of our fans are somewhat unfamiliar with him. He is not a true dual-threat quarterback. He is a quarterback that has elite athleticism. There's not a lot of design quarterback runs for him, and maybe there will be this week to add any wrinkle. But this is a guy, when things break down, that can get you. But he is a pass-first quarterback that will then kind of extend plays with his feet. Again, he's a plus runner. But he's not a guy you look at and say, okay, they're going to run him an awful lot. And being the quarterback – in that scheme that is somewhat predicated 
on down the field throwing. They don't want to get him injured. They've given up a lot of rushing first downs. They've allowed more rushing first downs than they've achieved. But LSU 27 passing first downs. Uh, as a kicking unit, they have they are one for two. They've they and their opponents two for five. That's interesting as well. So if it boils down to kicking, maybe Ben Rabin's got the advantage. All right, looking deeper into special teams here. Uh, they have kickoff returns. They've only returned the football three times. That's interesting to me. You know, maybe some of that's because going out of the end zone. However, opponents have had seven returns. So what that tells me is they're not getting a lot of touchbacks. Does that give Tulu an opportunity here to make a game-breaking play? Now, punt returns, much different deal. LSU is yet to allow a yard in punt returns. Again, it's just two games. They've had one return against them for zero yards. LSU defensively has uh, one interception. Their opponents have two. Points per game, LSU putting up 44, allowing 20.5, and, of course, that is skewed by scoring, you know, 65 points last weekend. 34 points off turnovers, and much of that came, you know, last week, you know, playing kind of a hapless opponent in Southern U. As a team, penalty-wise, 10 for 85, and opponents 9 for 88. So it's a pretty pretty moderate number there. I think everybody could probably see that. And looking more at the individual stuff here, Jaden Daniels, Two games played, 35 completions and 45 attempts, 346 yards, five touchdowns, averaging 173 passing yards a game. Garrett Nussmeyer played a little bit in relief last week, had a couple picks, 13 of 23. Some people thought he would be the future. Maybe he is, maybe it's not next net, maybe it's next year. But 183 yards. And you obviously want to save some wear and tear on Daniels last week. So uh, you know, we're gonna, we can expect Jaden Daniels to be very efficient. If you look at his numbers he had at Arizona State, he is a guy of very high completion percentage. Doesn't really take the shot down the field, maybe like some previous LSU quarterbacks. So he's not going to give you a whole lot. His freshman year at Arizona State, 17 touchdowns, two picks. His final year at Arizona State, 10 picks, 10 touchdowns. Even though his completion percentage went up the third year at Arizona State, everything else kind of went down. He only played in four games in 2020 and five touchdowns into one pick. So pretty stingy with the football, but last year took a few more chances and paid for it. Now, Daniels is also the leading rusher at LSU. 19 attempts with a net of 132 yards, averaging seven, almost seven yards a carry, the one touchdown with a long of 25. Now, they began that Florida State game with Daniels kind of tucking and going and, and moving the chains. Armani Goodwin, second leading rusher on the team to first at running back. 17 carries for 99 yards and a couple touchdowns. Noah Kane, a transfer from Penn State, 17 carries for 74 yards, a couple touchdowns. Kashawn Boutte has had the one, the one long end-around play, one for 41 yards. Uh, Josh Williams, a younger guy, six carries for 19. Walker Howard, backup quarterback, played some. Uh, you know, one carry. And uh, I guess that's not true. I got my three carries for a net of 15. And then uh, Nick Demas. So you look at this running game, and you see it's all kind of predicated on Daniels. Now, John Emery is going to be back. His first game since 2020. 
and that was the final game against Florida, I guess. He will be back, missed all of last year with an academic suspension, and then had two games to serve this year. I'm not exactly sure the circumstances behind that. He has practiced, but he will be a little bit rusty. Again, first game in a year or more. And so it's important to kind of understand how much will they use him. You know, I think they'll play him some, but Brian Kelly kind of made it seem like they got to give him some time to kind of get back in the flow. And I think just like he would be with us, and no matter how talented a guy may be, if he hadn't played an actual game in a better part of two years, there's going to be some rust. And he hadn't exactly set the woods on fire in his career there. But that'll be a new name or a somewhat familiar name you hadn't seen in a while. It'll take the field. I like John Emery. I always did. And I don't know why he hasn't had a better college career. I really thought he would have a huge career. You recall he was nearly a Mississippi State Bulldog. He was set to commit to Mississippi State on his birthday, and then all of a sudden LSU gets more involved with him. And then he commits to Georgia and then flips to LSU late. It's tough to beat LSU in the River Parishes. If you're familiar with that state, you know, all of that long there from, you know, Holman, Thibodeau, Destrehan, all that stuff in there, it's difficult. That's really deep LSU country. And that's exactly where he's from. Now, looking at receiving here, and it's been awfully interesting with this group. You know, all these guys scrub their social media, and there's all this, you know, what's going on with LSU. I don't know if you can draw any conclusion from that at all. Maybe it's just the guys kind of blacking out. It's like, you know what, we got beat. Let's focus on this. Former Mississippi State commitment Malik Neighbors, the leading receiver at LSU. He also had a couple of big muff punts against Florida State. A lot of people were disappointed with how Brian Kelly handled that in postgame. I don't think there was anything intentional there. I think it got a little bit blown out of proportion. But Neighbors has eight catches for 123 yards and one touchdown, a long of 60. You start doing the math on that. That's seven other catches for 63 yards total. It's not averaging an awful lot. Brian Thomas Jr., seven grabs for for uh, 40, excuse me, 99 yards. And Kashan Butte, a guy that killed us last year, seven catches for 62, a long of 21. Still hasn't found the end zone yet. That's a guy that, this is a money-type game for him and a money-type game for guys like Emmanuel Forbes. Kind of the game within the game. But so far, he hasn't done a whole lot. Chris Hilton Jr., five catches, 47 yards. Mason Taylor. Uh, Jeray Jenkins, a guy that sometimes is unheralded at LSU, actually has a couple couple receiving touchdowns. Both of those against Florida State. Jack Bash is a guy that a lot of people thought we could get. We had no chance to get that kid. He's an LSU legacy. It was zero chance that we're going to get this guy. I remember some people thinking, even posting on our message boards, oh, we got a good chance here. We had zero chance. Zero. It'd be like Ole Miss recruiting one of my kids. Zero chance. So that's your offensive numbers there. And, again, you look at this offense, they have not been especially explosive. They will get it figured out. I just hope it comes in two weeks. Let us get out of town with a W before they kind of figure some things out. And the fact that our defensive unit and the scheme that we run is so different than what they faced, it's difficult to think you could get on track when you're facing an unorthodox team like us. That's the conventional wisdom thinking, but uh, we'll see how things go. Now, looking at the defensive side of the football here, LSU always has athletes. Major Burns leads the team with 12 tackles. He also has a couple for, for loss. He has a breakup, quarterback hurry. This is a guy that get after you. Now, the strength of this defense is its defensive line. No, no, Absolutely no doubt about it. That front, 
against our offensive line. It's going to be a real challenge. I, I believe Mississippi State is better defensive line versus their offensive line that, again, has a lot of newcomers on it. But this battle between our offensive line and their defensive line could be the battle of the, of the week when it comes to this game. How do we handle those guys? How do we handle the pass rush? Ojolari, not quite 100%, but he's back. I guess a future NFL player. They're very good across the front. Makai Wingo is a guy that's really, really good. Greg Penn has 11 tackles. Wingo has nine. Jay Ward is safety. We absolutely victimized him uh, two years ago. He's still there. He has eight. Former Mississippi State commitment and Arkansas Razorback Greg Brooks has been shifted to the safety position. He has eight tackles. You know, he had a big pick six against K.J. Costello in 2020 right here at Davis Wade Stadium. Harold Perkins Jr. appears to be a rising star there. He has eight eight tackles uh, on the year. Wes Weeks also has eight. Mike Jones, who Mike Jones Jr. has seven. Uh, Jaquelin Roy also has seven. Makai Garner, another guy that just – you know, the list goes on and on, uh, but they've got some guys that have been out, you know, the, the transfer from Ohio State, seven as a defensive back. We expect them to play a lot of nickel and dime stuff. I suspect they'll go right back. Uh, we suspect they'll go right back to the drop eight type thing. You know, maybe they'll mix up some uh, some blitz package type stuff. You know, Ali Gay, of course, is a star. He had a good game against us down there in 2020. This is a very athletic group. There's no questions about it. This is a very athletic group. They just not have come together yet. They will at some point. Now, if you read the LSU commentary out there, there's a lot of concern about the back seven. How will their linebackers be able to handle? Can they cover in space? The corners have been really good, despite the fact that Derek Stingley is gone. Uh, they have been good at corner. Safety play has kind of been up and down a little bit. So, you know, what does that mean? Now, they have not faced an offense like us. You know, Florida State's a little more of a balanced offense. They like to run it a little more than we do, obviously. And Southern, I mean, you know, the Southern just simply couldn't match up. So, again, you can kind of just throw that game out of there. But we're going to stress the secondary like nobody has this year. And you go back and, again, you think about last year, and despite the fact that, uh, you know, State lost that ball game. And, again, I share with you, again, the recap. At one point, we're down 18 points in the fourth quarter. Now, considering State's ability to come back last year, you know, it's uh, it's part of the, the gig, right? You know, so – but looking back at last year's numbers, you know, Will Rogers had 371 yards in this game. And State actually ran it pretty well, too. We ran for 115 yards. LSU, as a team – only put up 343 yards of offense. Will Rogers surpassed that by his lonesome. And so you begin to look at this and say, okay, despite their – and they had bragged all week about their great defensive scheme last year. It was really more about our own lack of execution because everybody drops eight against us. But Mississippi State, you know, piles up nearly 500 yards of offense and loses a ball game. If we do that this week – We've got a real chance. Now, a lot of people are saying, Steve, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think Mississippi State's ready to go. Now, what concerns me, again, is this lull. What do we do when there is this lull in the third quarter? And maybe perhaps we're learning from that because in both of our games, we have come out the first possession of the second half and put the ball in the end zone. 
we get up 35-3, we go up two scores against Arizona, and then it's like the malaise hits us. Can we push through that? You may not know this, but, you know, Dollar Bill was pretty much whipped, almost dehydrated out there. You know, some of those guys out there, because of the, you know, the temperatures, you know, there were some guys that, you know, had to be, you know, officially hydrated. You know, it's a good hydration plan to kind of keep those guys fresh. And so it would be a little different, I guess, this week. But, yes, I, I am expecting Mississippi State to lose the game. If Will we lose? Could we lose? We absolutely could lose. I don't expect us to lose. I, I think this ball game boils down to what Mississippi State does rather than what LSU does. And if you look at what's happened, you know, Mike Leach offensively, no matter what LSU has run defensively, has moved the football. Even last year. And it's so funny to look back in hindsight. They brag so much about what a great job they did defensively. Well, you had a Malik Heath fumble and you had a Will Rogers errant throw that was really the difference in the game. Now, all those plays matter. You know, we talk about the Rodney Gross penalty. We talk about Will, you know, basically throwing a bad interception and Malik Heath getting stripped, fighting for extra yards. You take those plays away, it's a much different ballgame. So I don't think that Mississippi State is going to struggle with confidence because I believe State knows they can move the football against LSU. I think State actually matches up pretty well with LSU. And I think if LSU comes out and tries to establish a running game against Cameron Young and Nathan Pickering and those guys, I think they're going to find themselves behind the chains more times than not. The big question for us defensively is what do we do when things break down? How do we handle Jaden Daniels when he extends his legs? and gets outside and runs for first downs. What, what, do we spy him? Do we, do we put Jackie Matthews on him? Do we put a linebacker on him? I don't know if a linebacker is going to have the foot speed sufficient to, uh, to match up with him. And those are the things you think about. You remember how we played against uh, John Rice Plumley a couple years ago? We spied him, took away his ability to, uh, to create outside of the framework of the offense. And that's what makes guys like Jaden Daniels so dangerous is it's kind of that Johnny Manziel factor. If you make him sit back there and be a quarterback, he is talented enough to pick you apart. But he's more dangerous when he gets outside the pocket because then the receivers can, can work back to the, to the quarterback, and uh, it's difficult for your defensive backs to cover for that extended period of time. But I like State to win this thing in a close one, and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that later in the week. I do think State is the better team. I do think LSU will get it going. I think getting them early is very advantageous for State, even though we have to go on the road. But I think it's important to understand that we're a good football team. Maybe we're not great, and maybe that remains to be seen, but we're a good football team. You know, we're not going to go down there and be intimidated. You know, people forget. We went on the road last year. We won at Auburn. Went on the road last year, won at A&M. You know, we're a team that should have won at Arkansas. And so I, I don't think going into a hostile environment is going to intimidate us. And, again, I think when the confidence of knowing that uh, over the course of the last two seasons you put up basically 1,200 yards of offense combined against the LSU Tigers, I think you can have some confidence in your offensive scheme. All right, final segment of show brought to you by Portico. I've told you guys before, if you are considering moving to Stargill, look no further than the wonderful residential development that has been established at Portico. Very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on a 12 like going to campus. The very first right is Pat Station Road. You go through that little four-way stop, boom, there it is on the right. Portico. 
You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Really, any size home for any size family. Maybe it's your ballgame weekend retreat. Maybe it's your primary residence. Maybe it's your future retirement home. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be here all the time to participate and witness with all that goes on here at Mississippi State? It would be amazing. If I was moving to Starkville, I would move to Portico. I'm already here. I'm on the sticks. I'm pretty well established. But I tell you this, I'd love to be that close to campus, just 1.1 miles away from campus, but it's the quiet side of campus, tucked away in a neighborhood, not on the busy side of campus. And so you get the convenience of campus without maybe the inconvenience of all the hustle and bustle and the traffic. It's time that you consider Portico. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog, guy that knows what it takes guy that knows how special a place Starkville, Mississippi is. If you go to a Mississippi State sporting event, chances are you're going to see Brooks wearing maroon. Looks like he could still play. I've told him before that if I was the third base coaching box, I, I, we're going to bunt. I, I'm going to make him lug it out. We're not going to get up there and swing for the fences. It's not Church League softball, Brooks. We're going to lay one down for the team. We're going to see if you got wheel. I think, he'd, I got, I think he could beat it out. Brooks' phone number. And you can call her and text him and talk to him about Portico or perhaps ask him about, uh, you know, playing baseball at Mississippi State. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Part of a couple of great, great Mississippi State baseball teams went to Omaha. So, Brooks trying to make Starkville an even better place to live. So, check it out today. Portico. Make it your next move. All right. So, we're going to get back here on Friday. I'm about to get ready to uh, to head over to campus for our media opportunity. You know, yesterday we had Austin Williams and Jet Johnson, Randy Charlton. You can find that free content over at jeanspage.com. You can watch the video yourself. You, if you want to read the article, you can. You want to watch the video itself, you, you can do that too. We provide you with both because we're, uh, you know, we want to fill all your needs, right? That's what we do. We're very unselfish in that respect. Uh, so we'll get coaches today. I'm eager to hear, you know, what they have to say. I don't know who all we get. We usually get Zach Arnett like every other week. I'd be interested to know, you know, how he plans to defense Daniels. I suspect, in many respects, he's like Mike Wright from Auburn, but better. I mean, Auburn, but Vandy. Mike Wright from Vandy. Uh, Mike is really maybe more of a run-first quarterback. Daniels can absolutely, you know, elongate the field. He can stretch the field on you. But we did a good job with Mike last year. That was the big concern, even though you say, well, Steve, it's Vanderbilt. We, we knew that we could score. We just hoped that we could keep them from scoring much. We did, obviously, blew those guys out. But I suspect if you go back and look and see that film and look how State chose to keep Mike Wright in the pocket and make him a quarterback, it's probably what you'll see a lot of. Because this game, I think, ultimately may be decided by what, you know, what happens on those scramble plays. You know, last week against Arizona, State got plenty of pressure. Much different scheme than what we saw with Memphis. And, like, I, I read things, and I, and I try not to come off as being condescending on this show, even though I've been accused of that. I don't mean to be. You know, when you have a team like Memphis that is going to work the perimeter, they're going to get the ball out fast. They're going to get it out to the hands of their receivers and try to get those bubbles working and things like that. And they're going to be really quick and deliberate in things they do. You're not going to be able to sack that quarterback very often unless you just jump the route and you've got backside pressure from it. That's part of the deal. That's the thing you get. That's the thing you get done. And so you got to get out there and make tackles on a perimeter. Arizona much different. They wanted to get the ball down the field some. And as a result, 
you know, we've got Delara kind of running for his life. So the difference this week compared to last week is I think when Daniels gets in that situation, he's just going to go. You know, last week, Delara was hesitant to go. There would be times he had open running lanes and he wouldn't go. He would still try to get some, you know, get some work for the receiver. And, um, you know, Jed Fish kind of talked about in this post-game press conference. It's one of the things they'll coach. He said, you know, that's what happens in practice. You, you, quarterbacks don't take off and run in practice like that. You know, when those opportunities present themselves, you try to extend the play and get the big gain. In a game like that, when you're trying to manage field position and try to get first downs, you got to go. Daniels will not hesitate to go. So what do we do? How do we handle that? You know, that kind of remains to be seen. I don't expect uh, Arnett or any defensive coaches to kind of tip the game plan. But this is going to be an interesting game of, of chess. It really is. Two very different teams. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I don't think we're being too much homers here. I think State's experience is probably the best thing going between the two. Of course, Brian Kelly and his staff, brand new, right? And so you're two games into a new era. You're two games into new offensive and defensive systems, whereas Mississippi State is heading into the third year. So, you know, State, from an experience standpoint and a continuity standpoint, should have an advantage in that respect. LSU has recruited much higher than Mississippi State historically. And so if you if you hey, if we're to line up and, and, and probably have a beauty contest, LSU's gonna win that. But the difference is this is not about that. This is about who executes the best. So state, because of two plus years experience in an offense and a defense, should look like the better team. State is a more experienced team. State is more of a veteran team. And then when you begin to break things down, you know, I think Jaden Daniels is a bit of a wild card. I think it's going to be a close game. And i tell you this. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Do you remember that 2014 game at Alabama? And do you remember how frustrating Blake Sims was? It's like we would have Alabama in third and nine, third and 11, and then we would lose contain and Blake Sims would run for a first down. We, like, we just couldn't get off the field. That's what we have to avoid. When we get them in third and long, we've got to make him throw the football and then hope that our secondary can close on it and get a PBU or, or force an incompletion. You know, we can't get into a game of backyard football at LSU. I, I think that is what we have to absolutely avoid. So a lot of this, a lot of pressure riding on the shoulders of one Jaden Daniels. And, again, I'm very impressed with him. I've done a lot of research on him this week. Of course, I uh, watched the, the LSU-Florida State game like you all did too. And uh, – you know, I, I think his supporting cast let him down. You know, had some big drops. I thought the guy really was a warrior and competed really hard. So we're, we're going to be prepared for that. you, you got to understand that that guy is going to bring a great effort. And so uh, I share that with you just as a bit of a caveat. I expect State to win, but I think Jaden Daniels is going to be very difficult to defense. So we'll see how things go. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpiledabook.com. You can get all my sports books there. Most of you already have them. Some of you only have a couple of them. It's time to complete your collection before Alpha Dogs and Stark Villains go out of print. Uh, so go to dogpiledabook.com. You can get personalized and signed copies of all of my books there on the sports variety. If you're looking for Bloom's Voliander, uh, you can find it at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, booksmegan.com. Many of you have... Uh, Maybe, guys, your spouses have uh, birthdays coming up or you know, anniversaries coming up. Maybe you want to do something sweet for them. Get them Blooms Villiander. Or get them a Stark Villain shirt. Go to StarkVillains.com. You can do that, too. 
And a reminder, and I'm going to keep harping on this until we sell out, get some tickets to Rock Vegas. Because, again, this is not just about a show. This is not just about me. This is about the betterment of our NIL opportunities for our student-athletes of all sports. I have not given Charlie any direction on how this money is to be spent. I said, Charlie, you know the needs. You know where Mississippi State could benefit the most from this. So you make that decision. So it's just kind of going to go into a general fund. We didn't earmark it for baseball or football or basketball or women's golf or softball. I said, you know, Charlie, that's going to be completely up to you. And I submit to you, you know, there are going to be people that have written bigger checks, but this is the, the first really big NIL fundraiser of its kind. Not just perhaps in Mississippi, but perhaps the country. Do you know other people out there that are booking shows like this? And I think we have to be creative. And there will be an article in tomorrow's Starkville Daily News about the event. Uh, Cal Brown called and interviewed me and Stevie Blaze of Lillian Axe today. And so that will run tomorrow, kind of explaining some of this and kind of my history with Lillian Axe. And so I share all that. I'm doing the best I can to promote this. I, am, I have done everything that I, I can do. We have used some Jeans Page money to help facilitate this. We've picked up some great sponsors. I've come out of my own pocket with some money to help facilitate this. And so I am committed. And I don't ask you to, to match my commitment. I just ask you to honor my commitment by making a commitment of your own. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be bashful. I, I think I've earned that because I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for Mississippi State. I just ask you to partner with me. And, and there have been, our sponsors have been so incredibly generous because they believe in what we're doing. They believe in Mississippi State, and they believe this is a good idea. And, again, whether you believe in NIL or not, it's, it's here. It's not going away. So this is a way for you to maybe part, do, do your part a little bit to kind of help, to kind of help get things going. And you know what? If you want to set up monthly disbursements, go to the Bulldog Initiative, and you can do all that online too. Uh, I believe in Charlie Winfield. I respect Charlie as a person, as an attorney, and as a Bulldog. And I know that he is doing his absolute best to help Mississippi State be a real player in NIL. And we don't have any choice. This is about us just kind of coming together as a family and saying, hey, this is what we have to do uh, until they bring some changes and maybe put some parameters in place here with, as it relates to NIL and things get a little bit easier. We're going to have to pull together as a people to ensure that our athletic teams are competitive. It's as simple as that. And, and we, can, we can bury our heads in the sand, and then a few years from now we'll wonder what happened. Well, it, it, it will ultimately be on us because the landscape in college athletics is changing. And so as a result, I've just kind of sprung into action here to try to help and partner with the Bulldog Initiative to help bring something amazing to Starkville, but also to something for the betterment of Mississippi State. Please buy tickets. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.